Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill explores 1 Peter 3 to discover four pieces of encouragement as we go about trying to bless others in a post-Christian culture. Let's listen now. How do we navigate the post-Christian world when there are people who don't like us as Christians? We began to address that topic last week, and last week I called your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter writes, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the nations honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, part of what Peter is writing to us there is an encouragement that we are to give critics no reason to criticize. You see, Peter recognizes that there are going to be critics, people who don't like us as Christians, and we give them no reason to malign us. We give them no reason to fear or, or to despise us. In fact, we instead demonstrate to them that we are good, productive members of society. Now, Peter is going to continue that thought today as we move into 1 Peter chapter 3. He's going to continue the argument, and we're going to see more of what it means that we don't give the critics any reason to criticize. But in addition to that, Peter is going to not simply say that we are to keep our heads down and, and avoid being criticized. He's got something more to say. He gets to the heart of his argument, and he tells us that we are to live lives that say to the citizens of the kingdoms of this world that there is value in being in the kingdom of God, and that's what you really want. And so today, I'm going to give you four pieces of encouragement from 1 Peter in how to navigate the post-Christian world to bless the people around us. We're going to begin with homes at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to find that you can build a home that blesses people. You can build a home that blesses people. Now, I would encourage you to take out your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 because we're going to be reading this one little bit at a time. And we begin by saying that we can build homes that bless people when we create the right environment. Peter writes about that in verses 1 and 2 where he says, Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, there's a whole lot that I wish I could tell you about what Roman households were like in the first century, but I, I, I can't tell you all that today. What I can tell you is that Christianity upset all of the expectations that the first century Roman world had of wives and of households. And Peter is writing here to wives, to women, and for example, he is addressing them as human beings and as sisters. Peter is not writing to husbands and men about their wives and about women. Peter is writing to women and wives themselves. He's demonstrating that they are human beings and sisters as part of the family of God. That upset everyone's expectations in the first century. 
And Peter is advising these women, these wives, to create a right environment in their homes by demonstrating submissive attitudes toward their husbands. Now, think about that for just a minute. What is the alternative to a submissive attitude in the home? It's an attitude of of division, of, of strife in a home where everyone is seeking their own will and their own way in a home. And Peter is saying, homes have leaders. Husbands are leaders. We are to submit to the leaders within our homes. Now, husbands, recognize what he is not saying. He is not saying that you get your way every time you want it. That is not what Peter is saying. Don't go home and say, Rob O'Neill said I got my way. What Peter is demonstrating to us here is that the right environment in a home is an environment that is based on love, on selflessness, and on respect by every member of the household. Peter's not just writing to wives here. He's writing to all of us. And he's saying, you can build a home that blesses the people in it and the people who are watching that home, when you have the right environment of love and selflessness and respect in the home. Now, he goes on in verses 3 and 4 to say, you can build a home that blesses people when you have the right source of value in it. Look at verses 3 and 4 where he continues. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, in the Roman world, I will tell you this, that women were encouraged to display their wealth and status by putting on expensive clothes and expensive jewelry. It was a way that everyone knew that they were important and came from an important family. And yet at the same time, when Roman women wore expensive clothes and jewelry, it was also a sign to the culture that they had a loose morality. And so Roman women were also encouraged to be humble and modest in their dress. Now, that is a puzzle for people to know. How do you do both of those things at the same time? And the thing is, you can't. You're caught in a trap. Do I display my wealth and status and fit in, or do I display my virtue, and am I admired? It gets to the question. Peter's saying, think about where your value comes from. What is the source of value in your life? Is it in your wealth? Is it in your position? Is it in your power? Is it in what other people think of you? And Peter's saying, no, that's not the source of your value at all. Your value comes from God. Because God made you, and God redeemed you, and you are part of God's family. That's the right source of your value. And if there's any other source of our value in life, then we are going to end up going very wrong in life, and and our homes are going to become places of post-Christian strife. But you can, you can build a home that blesses if you get your value in the right places from God. Then he goes on to address the fact that we also need right role models if we're going to build homes that bless. 
In verses 5 and 6, he continues, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so now Peter is going on to ask, okay, so who is your role model? Is your role model a person in the world, a, a wrong person, or is your role model someone of godly Christian character? And of course, he's speaking to wives here specifically, but he's speaking to all of us. If we have the wrong, wrong role models, if we have role models that come from the world, what are they going to be like? They're going to be loud. They're going to be brash. They're going to be obnoxious. They're going to be driven by materialism. And you know what happens when that's what your role model is? You become like that. We become like our role models. And Peter is saying to the wives, be careful about who your role model is. Choose a good role model. He pointed them to Sarah in the Old Testament, the wife of the patriarch Abraham. What can you learn from Sarah, the wife of Abraham? But he's calling us all to consider very carefully who our role models are. Are our role models godly Christian people? Because you can build homes that bless the people in them and the people out there if you have godly Christian role models. Now next, Peter turns to husbands, and when he does so, he calls husbands not to live on autopilot, but to acquire the right skills to be husbands and fathers. To summarize what Peter is about to say to us in verse 7, Peter is telling husbands to use your brains. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they as heirs are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, what's he telling husbands? And what's he telling the rest of us here as well? Because he's speaking really to all of us, isn't he? He's saying, hey guys, in particular, it's very tempting for you to go through life with your brain turned off and if you're going through life with your brain turned off, you're just doing what you've seen modeled for you. And if you're doing what you've seen modeled for you in a post-Christian, in a non-Christian world, you're going to build a post-Christian, non-Christian home. And if you build a post-Christian, non-Christian home, you are going to build a home that's too materialistic, too busy, too conflict-ridden, too self-centered. Why? Because that's what you're going to have seen modeled for you. And so think very carefully, guys. Instead, turn your brains on. Get the skills that you need in order to be a good husband, a good father, a good contributing member of your household. And boy, is that not a lesson that speaks to us all? Don't just do what you've seen modeled for you by others. Think about how you can be a contributing part of your family. Now, at the same time, Peter has a powerful warning for the men. He says, men, you may at one point in life find yourselves to be the physically stronger person in the household. But as a husband and as a dad who raised teenagers, guys, you know that that dynamic changes quickly in life. And he's saying, when you find yourself in the physically stronger position, never use your physical strength to get what you want. What's he doing here? 
He is ruling out abuse in the home. He's saying, guys, never use your physical strength to get what you want. Never abuse another person in your household. And he's speaking to us all. If you ever find yourself in the physically stronger position, never use your physical strength to get your will and impose your will on someone else in your home. And this lesson continues to broaden out. Never use your intellect, your rhetoric to physically, to mentally, to emotionally, to verbally abuse or manipulate the other people in your household. Now, in everything that Peter is writing to us, what is he saying? He's saying, you know what? You can build a household that blesses the people in it and that stands as a beacon to the world around it. That's a big responsibility. That's a big responsibility to think that you and I are responsible to build homes that bless the people in them and speak loudly to the world out there. Our our homes are to be a beacon of hope for everyone in them and for everyone out there. That's a big responsibility. That's a little bit intimidating when you think about it. And it's intimidating in the same way that I find Christian bumper stickers to be intimidating. There was a season in my life where I really, you know about the Christian fish, the ichthus, it's the outline of a fish that's a symbol of Christianity. I really dig the Christian fish. And for a long time, I wanted a Christian fish as a bumper sticker on my car. Do not put a fish on my car, please, okay? It's not an invitation. But I never put that fish on the back of my car because this is, this is I'm just gonna be transparent. I'm not always a great driver. (laughs) And if there's a a Christian fish on the back of my car and I do something dumb, then everyone who sees me do that dumb thing is going to say, oh, look, there goes another one of those Christians. And so I'm I'm a no on the Christian bumper stickers. I do not want to disgrace my Lord by my driving. And when I hear Peter saying, Build a home that blesses everyone in it and serves as a beacon of hope to the world around you. That command is just as intimidating because it may only be me and my household, but we're not perfect. There there are flaws in my home and in my family, and I have flaws as a husband, as a father, and as a member of my family, as a son. And I am so intimidated by the thought that people must see Jesus in me and in my home. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us not only that our homes are a source of information for the world about what it means to be Christians. But our homes are meant to be beacons of hope. And it calls us to live as beacons of hope to the world. And how we respond to a command like that that's difficult and sometimes counterintuitive says everything about what we believe about the Bible. You see, when we say that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that it's true, It doesn't just mean that it's true for people out there when it speaks to and about them. 
And when we say that the Bible is the word of God and it's true, it doesn't simply mean that it's true and it can tell me what I'm supposed to think. It means that the Bible is true, it is the word of God, and it tells me how I am to live my life. Even when what the Bible asks me to do is difficult, and even when the Bible asks me to do something that I don't want to do, I obey God, I obey his word, and I adjust my life to fit what he has taught me. That's what it means, that the Bible is true, and it is the word of God. And so, as a part of my family, it makes me want to be a godly Christian husband, a godly Christian father, a godly Christian son in my family. And the Bible says you can build a home that blesses people. Peter goes on to say you can bless people in the post-Christian world. As we pick up in verse 8, we're going to find Peter talking to the people within the church, and he's talking about the attitude that we should have to one another. He writes, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, Peter is talking here to the church, and he is telling us that it's very difficult to love people outside of the church if we can't love those inside the church. It's very difficult to love the world when we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says, love one another, essentially. But then he goes on to tell us to love those who are outside of the church and even may oppose us. In verses 9 through 12, he writes, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing." For, as the scripture says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." And so Peter is getting to his thesis statement here, really. He's telling us, in a world that can oppose Christians and can oppose Christianity, choose to bless. Now, Peter understands that that people may oppose us and and not like us. And he says, when that happens, what are you going to do? Are you going to return evil for evil? That's not what we're called to do. He says, instead, when people oppose you, even non-Christians, when they oppose you, even for doing what is right and good, choose to bless them. This is Peter's thesis right here. Bless even those who oppose you. Now, here at Valley, we talk frequently about living a blessed lifestyle. Bless describes a method of personal outreach. It's a way that we can reach out to our non-Christians in our neighborhoods, the people where we live and work and play. The blessed lifestyle is, is, is represented by the acronym BLESS. B in the acronym stands for begin with prayer. L stands for listen with care. E, my favorite, reminds us to eat together S, the first S, stands for serve people, and the second S stands for share your story of what God has done in your life. That's the blessed lifestyle. And we call everyone at Valley to bless the non-Christians where we live and work and play. But Peter makes it even simpler here. 
Peter gets straight to the heart of the matter. And Peter says that we are surrounded by non-Christians and what we are to do is just simply bless them. And by bless, Peter is simply calling us to make their lives better by our words, by our actions, and by our gifts. And so one of the things that I want you to walk away from here today with is a simple calling this week to choose to bless one person, one non-Christian preferably, where you live and work and play. Do one thing for a non-Christian to make their day better by your words, by your actions, and by your gifts. You can bless people in the non-Christian world. Now, Peter's third encouragement is you can even bless people who oppose you. You can even bless people who oppose you. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we read his encouragement to bless even those who oppose us. He writes, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And now, Peter is very realistic here. He tells us that normally, when you do good, you are going to get good in response. But Peter is realistic. Peter has done life right up next to Jesus. And Peter watched as Jesus did good and said good. And Jesus was opposed by people anyway, reviled by people anyway. And Peter was writing to Christians in Asia Minor who had done good by their words, by their actions, and by their thoughts. And yet they were opposed. They were told that they were doing wrong deeds, saying wrong things, and thinking wrong thoughts. Peter was very realistic about the fact that we can suffer opposition even when we are doing right things, and we may suffer as a result. Peter was saying it comes down to a question of fear. What are you going to do? It's based on fear. Peter was saying you can fear one of two people. You can fear the person who causes you to suffer for doing good. In fact, Peter recognizes that's the natural thing for us to do. He said, or you can fear God. And by fear, he's not meaning that we tremble in fear before God, but that we have a sense of awe and respect and a desire for obedience in front of a holy and righteous God. And he said, you will fear one or the other. You will fear those who can cause you to suffer in this life, or you will respect, honor, worship, obey, and serve the Lord your God. And he said, this, this dilemma is going to make a difference in what you choose to do when 
opposition gets serious in life as it will. He said there are going to be times where people will oppose you because of what you do as a follower of Jesus, even though it's good, because of what you say as a follower of Jesus, even though it's right, and what you think as a follower of Jesus. And Peter said those times cause us to deal with a dilemma. Will we give in to our fear of those who oppose us and can cause us to suffer, or will we stand in holy, reverent fear of God? It comes down to a dilemma. Will we obey those who are telling us to stop, or will we obey and continue to serve God? And Peter is saying, because we are followers of Jesus and because we belong to God, the choice is simple and clear. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, we obey God. And that may mean at times we do not obey the demands of a government that tell us to do what God tells us we cannot do. And it may put us in conflict, not only with the government, but with employers, with family members and friends who want to tell us to do or say or think something different than what God commands that we do say and think. And in that day, Peter says, you will have to defend your faith. By defend your faith, he means you will have to live it out publicly. You will do what it is that God has told you to do. You will say what it is that God has told you to say. Not only will you do it, but you will explain it. You will explain the hope that is in you in Jesus Christ. You will defend the hope that is in you in Jesus Christ. But Peter gives us one caveat. He says, when this happens, do it winsomely. Do it winsomely. Because when you have the need to defend your faith, there are two ways you can do it. You can defend your faith with reviling and malice and everything else that characterizes the ways of the world. But Peter says when you defend your faith using the tools of the enemy, you become the enemy. On the other hand, when you defend your faith with respect, with graciousness, even to people who oppose you, then you are blessing them with the possibility that they can see the value of the kingdom of God and become a part of the kingdom of God themselves. You can bless even those who oppose you when you defend the hope within you winsomely. Peter's fourth piece of encouragement is simply this. You can bless people because Jesus supplies everything we need. You can bless people because Jesus supplies everything that we need. We find this encouragement in verses 18 through 22, where Peter writes, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, this passage is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to interpret. It's difficult because in the original Greek, there are questions about vocabulary and about grammar. Because this is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, there are all kinds of varying interpretations that have happened with this passage through the centuries. I'm not going to tell you about all that. What I am going to tell you is what Peter is saying because it's important to understanding how it is that we can bless people even when they oppose us. Because you see, we can bless those who oppose us in the post-Christian world. First, because Jesus is victorious. In fact, if you're trying to understand what Peter has said, I want you to see that Peter is referring first and foremost to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he meant when he wrote in verse 18 that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, that's the crucifixion, but made alive in the spirit, that's the resurrection. Jesus died and rose again. We get that. But then in the next verse, we read about Jesus proclaiming to the spirits in prison, and that's confusing what that means. What Peter is referring to here is a passage from Genesis chapter 6, back in the first pages of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, in the days shortly before Noah and the flood, the Bible records that angels came, they, they rebelled against God and came to earth and mated with human women. It was a great wickedness in the days before the great flood. And in the flood, God judged evil on earth. But it seems that God also put these angelic spirits, these beings, in prison to await final judgment. Now, when you think about it, angelic wickedness represents the most potent wickedness in all of history. Think about it. It's angelic rebellion and wickedness that, that produced Satan and the demons. So we are seeing an example of the greatest, most potent evil in history. And then we read that Jesus rose again from the dead, and he proclaims to these spirits that they are broken. He has overcome sin and death and evil. He is victorious over the most potent evil in history. These angelic beings are in prison waiting for final judgment. Jesus is the one who wins. And to people thinking about how can we stand against the wickedness and the evil in this world, Jesus is saying, I am victorious, so you can stand. Now, Peter goes on to say that we can stand, we can bless people, even when they oppose us in the post-Christian world, because we are saved. And being saved leads to certain expectations. You see, Peter addresses the flood. And he says, through the flood, Noah and his seven family members, that's the eight people, were saved. They were saved through the flood from the wickedness that had characterized the world before. 
They were saved from the flood in that they made it through to the other side. They are saved from an old life of evil to a new life of possibility in God. Peter says baptism is kind of like this because baptism reminds us that we too have been saved from an old life of wickedness to a new life in Jesus Christ, not because of the water, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter says you who have been baptized are saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now that you are in Christ and you have a new life and a new conscience because you've been forgiven and you are being sanctified, there's a new life to live. There are new expectations on us. You have been saved, therefore you are able to and expected to live now for Jesus Christ. You can bless those who oppose you because you've been saved and been given a new life in Jesus Christ. Then he says, you can bless those around you because Jesus is Lord. Early in this passage, Peter said, Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. Then he goes on to say, Jesus rose again victorious over sin and death and evil. And he closes by reminding us that Jesus also ascended into heaven. And he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, in that position, Jesus is ruler. He is Lord over all of the angelic beings, the good ones and the ones who have rebelled. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all power, even over the emperors and everyone who would oppose the followers of Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. So what does all this mysterious closing to 1 Peter chapter 3 tell us and mean? It says we can do it. We can build homes that bless those in it and bless the world beyond us. We can bless people in the post-Christian world. We can bless even those who oppose us. We can, because Jesus has supplied everything that we need. So as we navigate post-Christian world full of people who will oppose us, let's bless them. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.